I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long-term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Says, oh, you know, I'd be here if it wasn't, for, you know, if it wasn't for the money, I'd still be. That's crap. That's not going to happen. <laughs> your exactly. culture is actually who you are at your core, and it, it's natural. It's organic. We're close now to the second longest expansion in history. Look at your kids and. You know, they don't wipe their nose very often. It's all, you know, whatever. <laughs> like, that's not going to be a good, you know, popsicle later, but. The building industry has long been reluctant to change. When things are going well, developers and builders have had no incentive to rock the boat. But now... Post-recession, a shift in society and culture has ushered in a tidal wave of change in the industry, and there's no going back. Welcome to Spaces, where we explore and analyze how the building industry is evolving, from design and construction to management and economics. Join hosts Jason, Ali, and Demetrius as they discuss the evolution of your spaces. Hello! Welcome to Spaces. I'm Demetrius. Sitting across from me is Jason, and I have Allie to my left. We have a special guest in today. It's uh, Lawrence Armstrong from Where Malcolm. It's an architecture firm and based in Orange County, but have a few offices around the United States. And I think I will have uh, Lawrence kind of, or Larry, I should say. There you go. <laughs> he, he directed me to go by Larry, so I'll have Larry kind of do some further introduction of himself. So, uh, Larry, thank you again, first of all, for, for doing this with us. Um, so I'll let you kind of introduce yourself. Absolutely. 
Yeah, so uh, I'm the CEO of, of Ware Malcolm. We're an architectural interiors, uh, civil engineering, and branded graphics firm. And we're headquartered here in Irvine. We've been here since our uh, founding in 1972. Uh, now we have 22 offices uh, nationally oh. and internationally across North America. Larry, and then you guys also, uh, just this past year, got um, you were awarded the top one of the top 10 best places to work in Orange County. Yeah, that was great. Um, it, I think, has a lot to do with what we're going to talk about today, which is company culture. And uh, um, so we were happy to receive that uh, recognition here in Orange County. Yeah, that's, what, that's one of the reasons I, I reached out to you, because uh, I know you guys have a, a very cool culture and want to see if you can kind of go into some detail a little bit about, you know, how you guys have created that culture. And and um, so we'll, we'll get into that in a second. But I wanted to kind of catch up. We've, we've been away for a while with the, the break. It's It's been kind of a long break since we put out our first three episodes. So kind of go around the room. How, uh, how have you guys been, Jason and Ellie? Jeez. Well, we have been so busy. The end of year at my company, we started to get a lot of proposals coming in, a lot of work coming in. So my holiday break wasn't wasn't really a break and wasn't really that fun. But we got some pretty cool assignments done, and, and I was able to relax a bit. We don't have family locally, and we don't really celebrate the holidays much. So just relaxed a bit, worked out a bit, worked a bit. Cool. Jason, I think I had a little bit more fun than that. <laughs> um, no, I, you know, I can kind of echo what, what Ali was saying earlier. You know, nothing's really slowed down. I mean, usually, I, it, you know, you kind of look for that small little lull so you can catch up and do a few different things. It didn't happen, which is fantastic. But at the same point, you never really got to catch your breath either. Um, so I know a lot of my team's been struggling with some of that type of stuff. But um, but we kept motoring through, and we got some time up in Big Bear every uh, New Year's is where we go. Uh, we spend some time up there, and if there's snow, great. If there's not, like there was this year, we kind of play in the dirt with some dirt toys and things like that. Um, but the biggest thing was we just got back from Pelham, Ontario, Canada. Uh, my son's hockey team that I help coach, um, we got uh, invited to an international invitational-only tournament to go play a bunch of uh, Canadian teams and held our own. The little kids from Cali nice. um, shocked some people um, pretty pretty heavily, which was a lot of fun. Um, and I can tell you this, you know, culture is one thing that we're going to talk about, obviously, but everybody in Canada is like the nicest people ever. Oh, yeah. I mean, unbelievably nice and just, they, you know, they have some parts of what we don't set properly. You know what I mean? And uh, it was an absolute pleasure. The kids had a blast. Um, and I, heck I did, I was a 10 year old in a lot of ways out there with what we were getting to see arena wise and facility wise and skating on a pond that was frozen and playing hockey with, you know, a bunch of local people and stuff. So, um, so it was fun. That was, that was recent. So it wasn't quite the holidays, but, but forced me to take another break. So it was good. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds a, a bit fun. too cold for my liking. <laughs> uh, the coldest it was, they'll usually go after it in Celsius. Obviously we look at it, but, um, was seven degrees. And then, um, for, for and I think the high was 21. Um, but honestly, the difference between 7 and 21 at that point is nothing. You can't tell. Um, but we were we were pretty blessed. We had a view, about almost 180-degree view of Niagara Falls from our hotel room. Oh, that's cool. And so we went down there a couple of times, which was amazing. And we actually walked down there at night. And the mist that's generated from there, first off, the power like standing in front of that thing is unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, you just, you you realize how microscopic you are in this universe. And, um, but the mist would freeze. 
by the time it hit you. So it was like you were like crusted with ice. I mean, it was it was it was a, such a neat thing. And, you know, you look at your kids and you know they don't wipe their nose very often. It's all you know whatever. And you're like that's not going to be a good you know popsicle later. But um, yeah, but uh, it was a lot. It was amazing. I mean, it was a once in a lifetime trip. Was what we were trying to tell the parents and the kids and because um, it's a tournament I never got to play in through my hockey career that you would have longed to have uh, been invited to. Yeah. So it was uh, it was a pretty amazing experience. It was fun, but represented USA hard and Cali hard, and nice. I think we shocked a lot of people, so that was a lot of fun. That's cool. It was pretty cool. And I love that That's you awesome. liked the room because before you were leaving, you were like, oh, we have this room with the view of Niagara Falls, and you weren't that excited Yeah, about I didn't even – you know, what do you, what do you expect? But the funny part was, you know, because we kept working because we were still busy – and I, I can't tell you how many times I opened up my laptop to sit down and do work. And I, you know, it was awesome. We ended up being in a ju- junior presidential suite because of our Marriott points and stuff like that. And I'm sitting in this chair on Ottoman with my laptop. I couldn't get anything done because you just start staring out the window. Yeah. It, and it's stupid. It doesn't change. Yeah. But you're just staring at it. Yeah. I mean, you, you literally just get captivated by what it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was amazing. Yeah. It was absolutely amazing. So, yeah, you're right. You call me out on it. I appreciate that. <laughs> you're totally right. Larry, uh, did you get a chance to get away over the So uh, I stayed home over the holidays, which was uh, part of the plan. You know, family and chilling out in my studio and not doing much. I travel a lot uh, all year long, and uh, it was a big year and uh, pretty crazy this year. So I I was just looking forward to hanging out. I I worked through the holidays, but just sort of a little bit. None of my clients were around, obviously. Yeah. But I'll tell you, by the end, I was like really anxious to get back. <laughs> ready to get back. <laughs> That's cool. I, uh, you mentioned your studio. I didn't. I don't think I mentioned it that you do. You're an artist as well, um, outside of being a CEO, yeah. uh, and and kind of do a lot of traveling for that, participating in different shows. And you just yeah. wrapped up the LA Art Show in the convention yeah. Hall. So this is sort of what I call my we- weekend job, you know. Yeah. And uh, I've been uh, well. I've been an artist sort of all my life, but uh, I started showing my work, call it eight, nine years ago. Okay. So not that long ago. The whole idea was to sort of ramp up my art career before the end of my architectural career. So when I'm I'm done at where Malcolm, I'll have something to do yeah. as a career. Yeah. Uh, and so it's been really fun, and I, I spend my time in the studio on the weekends. And during the week, my assistant kind of coordinates where the art is and inventory and what show we're going to next and uh and it was great we yeah we recently participated in the um la art show which was great at the uh, convention center and i have multiple shows going all the time all all around the year and uh in new york miami europe i just finished a show in florence wow uh, so it's been pretty busy actually what does what does art mean are you like sculptures is it medium yeah what are you doing yeah so i work in um different media uh but i've uh all of my art sort of conceptually based on uh layering so i study layers and so it manifests in different ways uh, in different media but i've i've worked with layered canvases i actually draw on my iPhone uh, with my finger and print those out and then paint over them. It's pretty cool. It's all very modern, abstract, Mm. very colorful stuff. And um, I've worked in, uh, I've been doing a series right now of layered metal pieces. um, And I've done some very abstract uh, layered glass portraits, Mm. which are more sculptural in nature. 
And before I forget, do you want to promote your uh, some social media that to follow kind of your artwork? Yeah. Um, okay. What are the what are they called? <laughs> I, I'm on. I'm, I have actually a lot of different channels. So um, I have a Twitter feed as Where Malcolm CEO, but I have a different one as uh, L R A Art. So my art, I just go by my initials. It's L R A Art, and uh, it's my Twitter feed. It's pro- I have a, a Facebook page, uh, both under that, and then just my name for my regular business and personal stuff. I'm on LinkedIn also and uh, Instagram. Okay. Can we link all that to our website too? Yeah, yeah. So we'll have that in our show notes as well. I'm like super interested in this though. So, because I used to draw all over my walls. That's why I was curious. And I still do. But luckily, I I know how to paint over it now, which is fine. (laughs) And I always preferred graphite was my thing. It was always black and white. Right. So you've been doing this just your whole life. And it's just, you know, as a kid and going all the way through. And then you finally just created the ability to get after it a little bit harder. So, um, yeah, I've, I've drawn and painted and sculpted my whole life. You know, I took one of those aptitude tests in high school back a million years ago and trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And it came up, I should either be a sculptor or an architect. Hmm. And, so uh, you said, what the heck? So in consultation both, huh? with my father, <laughs> he advised that being an architect probably had uh, a little better bet or a sustainable lifestyle so sounds like pretty sound advice then so yeah, he far was huh? right. yeah. he was awesome he was right you were able to do both uh so yeah so uh i think that build your career and you have a family and you're busy and you know uh, the art over the years you know became less and less uh, of, of my focus but once uh once we became empty nesters and the kids were in college and afterwards, I've had a lot more time and I've been pursuing it. And then I ended up building an art studio uh, as an addition to my house. Uh, and cool. so Very cool. I've been and able to devote more time to it. Yeah. So, you know, I also double in art and I like to do abstract animal paintings. So oh. I want to show you a painting and see I'm if you think... I'm not shocked over here at all. <laughs> okay, right <laughs> See if on. you think I have a career in, okay. in, in some... Excellent. Oh, wow. Check you out. Well, that's nice of him. <laughs> this painting here. <laughs> that's very cool. I like you have, that. You, you have to okay, send that. So. Yeah, I'll, I'll send that over. I'm told that I'm kind of like... Maybe Picasso we can do a comparison the between the two, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah wow. it is working my work. <laughs> well, thank you for being nice you about it. You have to show this. It's yeah. great. <laughs> No, I yes. like that a lot. <laughs> That's what, nice of him. What media is that? I do uh, acrylic. Oh, wow. Acrylic. Yes. Yeah, good. That's interesting That's so cool. artwork. <laughs> I like it. I don't think I want to actually see it now. I, I thought mean, he was going to be mean about it. I'm no, not, I'm not going to be mean about it. I'm not quite sure how to describe it. It, it looks like an absolute. What happened cat. to your cat? Like in the picture, I don't understand. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I like. Look, it. that's not something I could do. That's yeah. For I'm sure. not sure I want to do compare and contrast to Larry's work because oh, come on. this is the most amateur. That's <laughs> awesome. I like it. That's it's very hilarious. cool. Oh, well, that's fantastic. Here's one of my pieces. Okay. I just yes. finished that. So his work is is phenomenal. Very very <laughs> yeah. much different than mine. So this is just one example of a layered metal piece. I that's really so cool. cool. We'll share some images of this, but okay. it's it's oh, a, a yeah, composition of sort of so cool. layered uh, square really cool. metal pieces as well as some canvases below and, and under. And it's got so a lot of dimension cool. to it. So yeah. you'll notice the frames, uh, the, the piece transcends the frame. And yeah, that's sure. a kind of a hallmark of most of my work is okay. that the frame is part of the composition, but it doesn't contain. Yeah, I like piece it. Transcends it. I like it. That's cool. 
So my uh, my break was all over the place. Had a roller coaster ride of a break. Um, just really quick. I, I spent um, the Christmas in Hawaii. Uh, so Christmas Day paddleboarding down the down the river and did a hike up to a waterfall. What part of Hawaii? Uh, this was Kauai. Okay. Yeah. So uh, more um, nature driven. Um, came back with 30 mosquito bites. Uh. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. And uh, oh, we had a pretty rough time uh, last couple of days of our trip. We had um, a little bit of an issue with our dog who's kind of going through some congestive heart failure, failure issues. So that's oh. been kind of crazy dealing with um, since then. But going back on that, one of the high notes, uh, I've been following our our progress so far through uh since we've uploaded the podcast and our numbers are pretty good uh, considering we're just starting it's up there with you know a lot of the the other podcasts that are out there but some interesting things i wanted to point out to you guys i haven't told you this the list of countries that we've been played in so far france zambia United Kingdom, Germany, Japan, Belgium, Canada, Finland. Oh, that's a new one. Uh, Spain and Australia. Awesome. Random. Yeah. Really random. Yeah. How cool is that's, that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so how would somebody find you? I mean, how do how do people uh, in different countries or? How? I have no idea. Uh, part of it, I guess, is from uh, you know just social media marketing. Um, yeah. Been hitting that pretty hard and. And I don't random know, maybe, accidental search where they click ours yeah. instead of somebody else's yeah. maybe yeah. <laughs> yeah. so it's, uh, awesome. it's it's pretty crazy um and then we're all over the united states obviously heavily to uh the pacific coast yeah. san francisco actually just outnumbered irvine uh, i don't know anybody in san francisco from an architect side though that probably makes a little bit of sense right yeah um and all the way to to brooklyn vermont so we're we're Very all cool. over the place so, hey, kudos. Thanks for listening, guys. Well, now with Larry's influence, we may be really everywhere yeah. at this yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get the Larry bump. So, uh, well, we just wanted to catch you guys up on uh, kind of how, how things have been going since our, our third episode, since we took that, that big break. Um, but today, again, we're talking about company culture, um, and we have uh, a guest that, that knows quite a bit about it. But before we jump into that... Market updates with Ali. All right, let's see if I can keep it cool this time. No laughing. Um, we are going to cover real quick just two topics. I know we want to get more into the company culture, but a few things that are interesting to mention. Uh, I guess it was last week we were at the International Builder Show in Orlando, and a couple of themes that came up. So one was affordability. Just every single session, it was how do you build attainable housing? What kind of solutions can you do? Um, how is that going to impact the direction of the economy going forward and the housing market going forward? And besides that, top of mind seemed to be expansion length. So everyone I talked to was like, we're close now to the second longest expansion in history. Should we be worried? Is it about to end? Um, and so I was kind of telling Larry and Jason about it earlier. I was probably more on the bearish side until two things happened. So one, we got a study from a a private equity company that said, where are we in the cycle? What should be concerned about? What has caused all the previous downturns? And going through that exercise, let's say 100 slides, 
we found out what the leading indicators are, what caused all of the downturns, and we don't see any big red flags uh, in terms of mm-hmm. what's caused the previous. Yes. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> I know, but don't hold me to it. <laughs> but yes, I mean, the, the past cycles, they were caused by a spike in oil prices or change in monetary policy or um, savings and loan crisis, mm. the housing crisis, a lot of things. It was a catalyst that caused the previous downturns, not just old age. Uh, on top of that, we have the new tax reform bill, which we talked about a little bit before. I think on our old episode, we mentioned it. Yeah. And if you kind of look for parallels, the longest expansion on history is Bill Clinton's era. So the 1990s, six years into that expansion, they decided to do a tax cut. So they cut capital gains taxes. And I think that helped propel that expansion to become the longest. So hmm. there's a lot of, of strength behind this new tax bill to help this economy running longer. Very cool. Just on the ground, uh, on the front side, uh, architecture, we're all pretty slammed right now. So um, if we're busy now, I, I assume construction and everything's going to be good for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of projecting that out. So, I mean, it seems like we're in decent shape yeah hopefully and then amazon was the other thing i'm sure everyone saw by now they released their top 20 cities i think the the one that will shock is toronto is on the list and i you know we've all talked so much in the states about oh which cities are going to go to and if it ends up in toronto oh my gosh i don't you know what's interesting because that's just where we were so when when we were up there we took a trip to the hockey hall of fame is in toronto so we took all the kids to see that that place is more congested than la yeah. I mean, I you know that may be that may be a bit of a stretch, but it's not like an extreme stretch. It is horrible. I, I know you know. It's Larry's, a great city. We it's a, beautiful. We have an office there, and okay. so uh, I can see how that would be on the top. Yeah. It's a great city. Uh, it's it's the biggest city in Canada. It's it's got everything: financial, manufacturing, yeah. real estate. It's beautiful skyscraper. I was more shocked that LA was still on the list, because um, just because of our taxes here, yeah. I, I thought we yeah. were going to be dropped off pretty quick. But it's not easy doing business in California. Yeah, yeah. And I was encouraged. Uh, Larry and I are both from the Midwest, and I was excited to see a couple of Midwest cities made it to the list. So we have Indy and Columbus, and maybe Chicago was on there. I can't I remember. So. But yeah, yeah. so that w- those markets actually could really benefit from having Columbus, especially. I think would be interesting. It would be awesome. So that would be great. Mm-hmm. So if there's nothing else on that, let's uh, let's go ahead and jump into the, the company culture or corporate culture, however you want to define it. I found this definition for company or corporate culture. It says corporate or company culture refers to the beliefs and behaviors that determine how a company's employees and management interact and handle outside business transactions. Often corporate culture is implied, not expressly defined and develops organically over time from the cumulative cumulative traits of people the company hires a company's culture will be reflected in its dress code business hours office setup employee benefits turnover hiring decisions treatment of clients client satisfaction and every other aspect of operations so pretty uh, detailed definition but i think that's the Company culture is something that's critical. It's something that's um, very important to people now. Um, it's it's right up there with, you know, your salary and, and other benefits. So um, I think it's something that, that people are, are really starting to get in tune with. Historically, it started out, you know, in the 1960s, I, I believe I, I saw. 
as far as a discussion point in uh, business school. It really started to pick up steam in the 80s and then the 90s, and now it's on, it's on the topic. forefront. Yeah, yeah, it's the forefront of, of all companies. And I think we're, the reason I wanted to bring it up for kind of one of our topics is we have a unique industry where company culture, there's a lot of elements that uh, can make company culture difficult. Um, a lot of things that you have to consider to to kind of protect your, your company culture. I don't know if you guys have uh, any initial thoughts on it. Yeah, you know, I actually, I kind of laugh sometimes at the term of company culture um, because I think it's a topic that's tossed out there and mo- and a lot of the people I feel that are talking about it don't truly understand what it is or they actually try to define it or have a, uh, try to define it or have a different opinion of what that culture actually is inside of that company and i would say in a lot of times of looking at it that can't be it so it's it's almost like which one's which i think it's a really interesting piece because even our own company the ones that that i work with um you know i think some people have a, a different definition of the company culture than i probably would mm-hmm. you know what i mean and that's and that's even between ownership and and the executives that that, that uh, work for ownership and it, so i think it's a really interesting piece and that's why i'm actually really excited to to get larry's opinion yeah. on how this works because you know from the ownership standpoint and this and the the overall you know control of that you know how they view it versus maybe how you know some of your associates may view it or or feel you know, it's the same or different or whatever that is. And then ultimately how you're viewed on the outside by the, the clients that you deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and we've done a lot of looking into it and we pay a lot of attention to it. And I don't think I've ever fully defined or put rules to how uh, we look at our culture, but we drive, I know specifically I do, I drive very hard. We're at the office more than we are with our families, if you think about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's got to be somewhere that you don't hate going to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say you're going to love it. Everybody always says, oh, you know, I'd be here if it wasn't for, you know, if it wasn't for the money, I'd still be. That's crap. That's not going to happen, <laughs> right? There's no way. But ultimately, I want to make it so you're enjoying what you do. And that doesn't mean you necessarily have to love what you do every day, but you got to enjoy the environment and the people you work with and, you know, have a general team atmosphere and those types of things. So. You know, I'm interested to see where the discussion goes for sure. And I really, uh, I wanted to point out something really quick because uh, you mentioned how people don't really understand what company culture is or their definitions a little um, different from person to person. But this excerpt I want to read really quick it says, "If you were if you were to show up for a tour today, you might find a popcorn machine or a coffee machine dressed up as a robot in our lobby." As you pass through different departments, you might find an aisle of cowbells, a makeshift bowling alley built by our software developers, employees dressed up as pirates, employees karaokeing, a nap room, a petting zoo, or a hot dog social. You might see a parade pass by because one of our departments decided that it was a perfect day to celebrate Oktoberfest. And you might say hi to to our life coach, wear a crown, and get your picture taken and put up next to the pictures of Serena Williams or Gladys Knight when they came and toured our offices. Or you might happen to show up during our annual Bald and Blue Day where employees volunteer to get their heads shaved by other employees. And that's <laughs> so, from Zappos. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. yeah. So this is Zappos, uh, or the, the founder or CEO of Zappos, delivering happiness, a path uh, to profits, passion, and purpose, uh, Tony I think it's pronounced say say yeah, yeah. um so that that's from his book and i think 
the thing with company culture is people immediately start to think in this direction of like all the cool right. gadgets and yeah, fun, the fun things stuff. and the yeah. ping pong table, pool table. Right. But that doesn't define your culture. Your exactly. culture is actually who you are um, at your core, and it's it's uh, it's natural, it's organic, like like I mentioned earlier. So I don't know if you've kind of run into that. Uh, in your office or for clients that you've um, done work with, uh, Larry? Yeah, so, I mean, this is a huge issue and maybe the most important issue if you're gonna be in business and trying to build a company. You know, our company's in a, I think, kind of in a very unique position because we design space for companies. Mm -hmm. So we get to experience all different kinds of company cultures of our clients. And, you know, we, it's our responsibility to design space that supports their culture. So they're very customized based on who they are, how they work, what kind of business they're in, what kind of employees they have, what kind of clients they have, and how they want to be seen. Mm -hmm. And so each one is very, very unique. And then we end up learning a lot from all of our clients and, and so that we can kind of craft our culture, I guess. Uh, yeah. Uh, hopefully with the best of all we've learned from all of our clients, which is, you know, I think a pretty unique and cool opportunity. Yeah. Culture is amazing how make or break it is. One of my, my best friends got a job and it was everything about the job was exactly what she wanted. It was the kind of work. She has a very, very specific specialty not to go morbid, but she studies murders. And oh. so it's like, where do you find a, a company that studies murders <laughs> and how can you do this? And so she finally found the job, couldn't ha like, couldn't even handle how excited she was. Nine months later had to quit because the culture just drained the life out of her and she was so miserable. And it was, I don't care if this is my passion, I can't spend another day that at sucks. this company. Yeah. That really sucks. You know, I, I, I kind of had a question for you, right? We're talking about culture and stuff. Do you ever, Larry, with, with your teams, or what, do you ever sit down and say, or at one point you say, what's our culture going to be? And you tried to describe that or define that or mold that? Or did you let it more so happen organically and you guys found a proper path and started more so trudging down that way? Yeah, so the roots of our culture, you know, started with our founders. Uh, Bill Ware and Bill Malcolm founded a company. Uh, we designed space for basically developers when we started out and still do, industrial and office developers. And... Uh, and we've expanded and diversified way past that, but that's the roots of our business. It was very important to them that we, first of all, understood our client's business and what their goals were, what they were trying to achieve in their projects, so that we ended up becoming commercial real estate experts. And then, you know, as a company, as some companies are structured a lot differently, you learn, and yeah. you're working with different companies. but. You know, in the architectural industry, people are highly educated and your whole workforce is professional people mm -hmm. and they have opinions about stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah, good Shocking. and bad. <laughs> no, it's good. It's, uh, and so I think uh, the beginnings of our culture were, were put in place by our founders who basically opened their own company and sort of had to find their way. And so a bit of it was just their influence and, and organic. Uh, I think... You know, when we transitioned to our second generation of ownership, which I'm a part of that back in the early 90s, we sort of set out to describe a vision uh, for our company and where we wanted to take it and the, and the growth we wanted to have. And so uh, a big piece of it was based on 
Well, we were given the opportunity to buy and take over this amazing company. And our clients were asking us to go new places to do work. And so we decided to sort of put those together and say, okay, we're going to design a a platform to empower our people to grow in their careers. And so if people got our kind of work and were excited about the kind of work we were going to do, we wanted to give them the opportunity to grow as much as possible in a very entrepreneurial way within our company. And that sort of baseline philosophy has helped us grow from a Southern California company to an international company. Yeah. And um, Ali, you sent me a a link to a pretty cool video, which I'll I'll put up on our website as well. Um, I think it was Harvest, uh, Harvard Business Review, um, put a video together that that talks about the different uh, types of company culture. Um, So they had a, a list of different ones. So it's a results driven, caring, order, learning, safety, purpose, authority, or enjoyment. Um, so those were the, the, tip, the, the different types of styles. Um, and the one that actually ranked the highest, I believe, was um, caring uh, at 63%. 63% of the, the companies that took this um, rating or, or survey, or survey ranked caring as their highest style. Uh, that they wanted to try and pursue and what they mean by caring is uh, an environment that's collaborative and welcoming second obviously it's business was results driven <laughs> that was uh, 89% and, and that's about being goal oriented and achievement winning you know uh, I like that things. one <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's a great one right? yeah I like winning that's yeah. that's interesting I mean I, I the caring one kind of the caring one feels because you need to have it. Don't get me wrong. Like yeah. I care about all of the individuals that we work with, our team members. There is no question about that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think you have to have that to be able to foster proper team oriented, you know, work. But what's interesting, I kind of, it's like one of those things where you're like, is that what you're supposed to say? I yeah. wonder if that's why that ranks so high. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I would tend to believe that almost all of them would want to be results driven to start mm-hmm. um, and then almost have that flop. You know what I mean? Um, it's just interesting how that type of stuff plays out. But the caring yeah. felt a bit like a misnomer because you said the definition, though, was collaboration and... Welcoming. Oh, and welcoming. Okay, yeah. so that. But yeah, the collaboration part. And I was another question for you, Larry, is you said you've worked with different companies to to set up kind of their, their layout of their office. Right. Okay, so for the open floor plan for kind of the collaboration and the, the sharing and all of that... Are you seeing a shift more towards that, or now that people have done it for so long, they're starting to shift back away from it? Kind of. Do you have any insight on that? I have a lot of insight. <laughs> <on that. laughs> so, by the way, we've studied that article extensively in our company. Okay. And uh, I can say a lot more about that sort of topic. But to answer your question, um, you know the uh, the evolution of corporate office space is has been very interesting to work on and follow and, and really uh, develop into thought leadership uh, in our company because if it, and it has been an evolution back in the I don't know call it the 70s when cubicles were invented or you know that was that was the hot thing because <laughs> it sort of saved space space was more efficient it was more flexible perhaps 
and then it evolved over time into sort of this open funky workspace which we started dealing with in the 90s with software companies and then the sort of the dot coms you know in the late 90s and early 2000s and then it evolved into sort of the Silicon Valley tech type companies and the really crazy stuff that you know some of those guys did you know Zappos uh, and Facebook and name all of them and they, they you know they just have uh, additional sort of uh, amenities around uh, involved in their space and you know the cubes go away it becomes even more open and more teaming space less private space uh, and then the square foot per person kept shrinking and shrinking and shrinking mm-hmm. and there's we learned a couple things a this kind of an idea doesn't work for every company culture <laughs> yeah <laughs> right yeah. the way a company works is yeah. more important to de- determining how to design space than just whatever this trend is. Yeah, that, you know, being fine. Yeah, yeah. You know, there was this uh, sort of mad dash to it because it was thought to be cool, cool. and employees yeah. would like it and, you know, that sort of thing. I think a lot and, of people wanted to try and attract millennials, right? Yeah. With that, that yeah. kind of cool atmosphere. So now we've seen this pendulum swing back a little bit where companies are realizing you know what that's cool and maybe we'll put a couple of those elements in our space maybe a little bit more team space um but maybe we still need some private offices Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. because the work we do sort of requires somebody to be able to focus a little bit more so in a way maybe Uh, some of that almost drew from their like drew away from their culture yeah totally pulled them out of their element no question because imagine if you have a, a conversation about another employee if you're a you know higher level executive or or someone that that needs to make you know those kind of personal calls but you're in this big open space and yeah. you're trying to whisper yeah. so that no one can yeah. hear you yeah so, so so then what happened was this evolution of these little uh enclave or phone booth rooms that mm-hmm. we would create you know and you yeah. can step in and make your you know doctor phone call or call your sister when she's crying or yeah. whatever whatever it is yeah <laughs> and you know i mean which is a real thing we all deal yep. with right yeah. and uh so i think a lot of these things have evolved and now the square foot per person isn't you know quite as crunched and we have a little more teaming space but we have maybe depending on the company they may need some private offices so it's, it's you know it's a very interesting thing and i think we have to as design professionals be responsive to okay what are the trends mm-hmm. but what's your company culture and where are you going and how do you want to take your company and what's your vision? And we have to design space to sort of those parameters, which, you know, isn't always the same. Well, it's never the same. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, it's interesting what you just said was design space for your company culture. So when you're meeting with a client and saying that, how many of your clients, and obviously we're not going to name names, have difficulty describing to you what their culture is? All of them. All of them. And that, and I think that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. I think there's really a disconnect usually, and it's hard for them to describe it because you really can't put your finger well, on it. It's not the business they're in. You know, they're they're in their business of doing X, whatever it is, and we're in the business of interpreting that Fair and designing point, their yeah. space. But and I think you mentioned it earlier. This whole thing about what's your culture and how do you define it? We've developed tools in our company to help draw that out of our clients so we'll, we'll request a meeting at the beginning of a project a corporate project to say okay we want to get the people in the room that you think are the important voices that you want to help 
uh, define what this space should be. And so we have what we call a visioning session to draw out of. And, and there's lots, you know, it's, it's very fun and interesting because you'll hear um, opposing viewpoints come Multitude, out. Multitude, I'd imagine, and yeah. And people thinking differently about their own company. And so it's really great because then it comes up and we can sort it out and pick a direction to go. So, yeah, I mean, a, a company culture is also not always uniformly defined yeah, by people yeah. in the same company. So. And part of company culture to me feels really intangible. When I've switched companies before, I went from one to a new one, and I went through culture shock. And I never thought you could go through culture shock in the business world, but I, I was like, I don't know how to describe how completely different this is and how nothing about this feels like the old company, but there's something that was very intangible, and they didn't try to define what culture was, but it was just kind of, maybe not everyone understood, but it was there was a general agreement that the culture was kind of a certain way well i think it defines your expectations of what you're going to run into i mean i even had it in the same thing uh with the tournament i was describing earlier you know my wife and i are planners for the most part because the business that i'm in and what we do you know i've got to hit numbers we've got to you know provide certain metrics and everything's quite driven and so you have to be prepared for it and plan and everything else my wife's very similar in that manner the reason I say this is because we go to this tournament, we've got a 7 a.m. game. Most kids are not morning kids. Luckily, mine are up at 5.45 ready to rock and roll, mm-hmm. which is psychotic. My wife hates that part, but you know she's been able to do that. But we've got food for the kids, ready to go. My, you know, my son knows he needs to eat something, get something to drink or whatever. There's some of these other parents where, to me, I'm going, this is normal. Like This is what you should be prepared for. This is what you should be. No idea. Well, how do we stop and get food? And I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? So I, you know, the reason I say that is because... The companies they probably work with might be, you know, might be something that is more along those lines. And I can't tell you what that line is. But if I went to that company with like-minded individuals, like I'd probably walk in going, are you kidding me? Like, what are we doing here? You know, so it's almost, I think it helps shape our own pieces as well of what we expect, you know. And so if you were to go from one company to another, you know, I don't know if it's so much just the company's culture. I think it's the expectation that you have on how people are going to act or interact mm-hmm. and how that changes. I mean, the culture itself, you'd probably adapt or not, and it may be a feeling based on the building and everything else that you're in and how those people interact with you. But how they carry out their business and things like that, which is what your clients see, yeah. may be something entirely different. You yeah. know? So, Larry, you mentioned that you guys have looked at that Harvard Business Review. Mm-hmm. You guys are the top, what was it, top whatever, 15 best places to work in Orange top County? 10, yeah. Top, top 10. 10. Don't cut top the guy 10. down. Come on, Sorry. that's a hard thing to do. <laughs> so where would you, of that list of the different cultures, where would you put your company? Yeah, it's interesting because um, we've all, several of us on our executive team have read the article and we haven't gotten back together to talk about it. Hmm. Um, but very much so in the results and caring both of those are high are going to end up being high in our results Um, we have um, our leadership meetings three times a year where we fly all our leaders in from all around the country and at the last one we did our own visioning session because it had been a while we do it with ourselves every once in a while we're we're setting our goals and our long-term strategic plan and and it was pretty fun to do. And uh, it just sort of affirms what you're trying to do. And I think uh, there wasn't a lot of what I would call disagreement in that session. But there were a lot of good ideas and good reminders for things maybe that we set out to do and don't always do. So, Larry, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. A lot of people 
I think are starting to shift towards what this article looks at as the learning style, which is kind of creating this environment of exploration, creativity, and open-mindedness, kind of following the path of uh, companies like Google, Tesla, SpaceX. Um, the way that I see it is throughout history, the company or the the big innovations have all come from basically startup type uh, formats or guys that are kind of guys or gals that are going out on their own to, to create something new. Um, so now I think companies are starting to to want to, they're part of that and, and create this environment, this free flowing creative environment. Are you starting to see that or, um, and how do you harvest that through right. design or encourage that? Yeah, so it's, it kind of starts, I think, a little bit with our attitude in dealing with our clients and what we're looking for. And so we try to instill a lot of what you're talking about, innovation into our company all the time. Mm -hmm. And so one of our initiatives is we've been doing this for several years, but uh, we had this uh, we have this sort of continuous improvement initiative where all the ideas come for the employees. We, I think it was in. 0809 we had what we call WM 3.0 and everybody uh, that wanted to could submit an idea uh, and we implemented a ton of them and it made our company so much better so we just launched just this week recently uh, WM 4.0 we, we received over a thousand ideas from our employees wow. and you know that's yeah. overwhelming right so yeah. we have to, they're in different categories and we have to prioritize them and get going but we have focus groups that work on each one and and so um, in terms of innovation we try to bring that spirit to our clients but we have to uh, sort of instill it in ourselves you know and make sure that's kind of who we are yeah uh, to bring it to our clients yeah and one of the elements that I saw like uh Google, I think they, they do this 20% time. So uh, they give their employees 20% of their time to do whatever, like create whatever they want. Um, any concept that they have, no matter what it is, uh, just come up with something new. And I, I think that was a cool, cool kind of thing. There, there's a few companies, I think FedEx does something similar. Um, I don't, do, have, have you guys seen anything in your specific industries? Um, that that's kind of specific jason and ali what's kind of funny is we're going through a culture shift hmm. um our our company is because our the ownership is pri private company um uh ownership is 60 62 63 getting up there um and we've been blessed enough that they're allowing you know the president of our company who's the son who's the heir to it um, and, and a couple of us, other individuals to start defining, you know, what we're doing going forward. Owners that are snap the reins when need be, but we're, we're, he's had enough vision to see, we need to let this migrate and go a different direction. So we're going through a bit of a culture shift. I mean, even the new building we just moved into three, four, five months ago, whatever it was completely different from the other one. A lot of the elements of open space, a lot of private office still, because there are those conversations that need to take place. Um, but we're, we're getting younger and younger, and so we're having to attract talent, keep talent, but stay very disciplined. And what's been funny with that is we're almost on the cutting edge side of our space yeah. as far as our industry space, but I don't look at it 
in the overall realm as being cutting edge. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, there's there's not a whole lot of innovation to what we're necessarily doing on the on the cabinetry side. We're we're really doing a lot of things differently than some of them have. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's we're kind of in this flux, and it's almost difficult to determine, you know, exactly what our culture is. Like I was saying before, highly team oriented. You know, there's not a single person in the office that I call by their actual name. They all have nicknames. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I like to foster a bit of playfulness and teamwork and, and just kind of general caring. I mean, because my, my joke is with people, if I'm not messing with you, you know, you got a problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but um, I haven't seen a whole lot of innovation on our side. I mean, I think our industry in of its own, for the most part, is behind the curve. Yeah. You know, except for design side and stuff like that, because they have to continually push the envelope. But you know, even the building process and a lot of that stuff, there's not much innovation. I mean, there really is not. And we're starting to see some of that come to the forefront, but it's getting a whole lot of pushback, which to me means we're on the precipice of going the right direction, right? Yeah. Because you've got new new thoughts, new innovation coming into it, and you've got plenty of old guards saying, whoa, 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 this isn't how we do it. And at some point, that's going to topple. Um, so I'm excited to see that. But um, as far as our space particularly, yeah, not a lot. Mm-hmm. Um and so. I'd say mine's a bit the opposite. I think for economists in general, they've traditionally been old white men. And so there's kind of been this new young breed of, of um, diversity in economists that I've met across the country that it's pretty boring looking at data the way we used to look mm. at it. And now Richard Thaler won the Nobel Prize for Behavioral Economics. So now it's not... There was always this joke about there's humans and there's econs. So there's what the textbooks tell you, and then there's what people actually do in their day-to-day life. So now kind of marrying those two and actually starting to look at data differently, starting to challenge theories that you were told are reality for so long, I think there's a lot of change in in the way that that our field's going. And you guys mentioned, uh, you each mentioned something that I wanted to quickly kind of highlight. Um, talking about diversity alley, um, there was a study that shows gender diverse companies are actually 15% more likely to have financial returns above the national industry averages. Um, and then uh, racial or ethnically diverse companies are 35% more likely to, to have financial returns uh, compared to their, their counter or their, the average. Yeah. So it's, um, on that point, that's a, a very interesting thing that you have to consider when you're when you're looking at your culture, making sure you have a a good diverse background because a lot of uh, ideas come from different upbringings and different styles, the ways that you look at something. And then when when you mentioned Jason, kind of how our our industry as a whole is uh, you know difficult. <laughs> I'll a good say. way of putting it. Yeah. yeah, there's there's a lot that that I think we have to consider when we're looking at our culture and how we uh, maintain and, and promote our cultures in each company because there's a lot of outside influence that, that can affect that culture no matter oh, for sure. how much you you know try and um, maintain it. There's, there's issues of you know the financial stress of your clients, um, the, the emotional side on the housing side and the mo- a strong emotional part where people are, you know, getting their homes built and and things are getting pushed back months and months because of lack of labor and gas and, meters. And, yeah. this so and that, all yeah. these things that kind of come back and they can affect your your culture and within your company. Um, so there's a lot to consider there. So, Larry, I don't I don't know if you had any notes to that 
those kind of yeah. So it's it's been interesting to watch. You know, the architectural profession in particular has evolved um, a lot in the last. You know, I had I think uh, my graduating class was a hundred, and there were five women in my class. Wow! Wow! And now you go back to I went to Kent State University. I mm. visit there, and it's fifty percent. You know, women. That's awesome. Mm. Yeah. And then in our company, you know, it's 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 extremely diverse uh, in terms of our workforce, and uh, I think it's you know it's all based on meritocracy. You know, those mm. that rise to the top and contribute do really well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think awesome. there's no limits and there's no barriers. And I think once you just eliminate those sorts of things, your company and it can just naturally become. Yeah. Uh, very much more diverse and, and you can benefit from the, the things you were talking about. Yeah. Different points of view. Yeah. Um, did you guys have any other questions for Larry? We want to kind of, you know, honor his, his time. And... Have a ton. I think we're gonna have to bring him back. Yeah. I th- yeah. This is such a great topic. Uh, I think we got to do another one at yeah. some point. Uh, we're going to try and continue a little bit more to wrap this up, but we'll, we'll let, uh, we'll let Larry go. Okay. But we want to thank you very much yes, for, uh, yeah, for thank you. participating. Really, it was great. I really yeah. appreciate it. And, uh, it was great talking to you. Thanks. Yeah. Thank Thanks you. Larry. So, uh, I think we'll just go ahead and wrap this one up today. Um, before we go, we want to, to give some, since it's 2018, still kind of the beginning of 2018, um, we want to give our, our top five predictions for the year. The top five predictions for the building industry for 2018. Uh, I'll start with the first one. Um, my prediction for 2018 is that off-site construction is going to take a jump um, and be more more considered by builders, um, and we'll start to see more product projects uh, going up that are that are done in the off-site format. And this is kind of a two-for-one. Subsequently, BIM modeling will kind of follow in that foot in its footsteps and designers will will get more on board with the BIM modeling even more so I would love to see that happen (laughs) Ali all right number four we already covered this in the market update but the tax reform will breathe new life into the economic expansion so uh, I think we'll see a really really solid 2018 in both the general economy and for the housing market Jason uh, mine's kind of a safe one, um, just from being on the operations side of stuff. Um, you know, as Ali's saying, obviously the economy is going to continue to go. Builders are still, you know, building more and more houses every year. Uh, labor pool is not growing, um, and builders are starting to stretch their cycle times. So I think that um, is going to cause obviously some problems um, still in the field that have yet to be resolved. Um, hopefully, if uh, if Demetrius is correct, um, some of the offsite building will help with that. I don't know how quickly it'll happen here in SoCal, but um, but like I said, I'm going to go with a safe bet. Labor is obviously going to continue to be a big problem. Uh, we still need to face that and challenge that as an industry, um, and I think it's going to come more to a head this year than it even did last year. So, uh, go back to Ali for number two. All right, number two, mortgage rates will remain favorable for the housing market. Uh, one of the studies I've done recently is I pulled up the federal funds rate. So when you guys read the news and you see that the Fed has raised short-term rates, that's what they're talking about. I looked at the historical spread between the federal funds rate and mortgage rates. And given that, 
that predicts rates will be between, if the Fed raises rates three times this year, rates will be between four and 6%. I think it'll be on the lower end of that. So uh, we're, I think we're still sub four, like 3.9. We've been hovering around there. I think maybe 4.3, 4.5 through okay. through this year. Okay. That's amazing when you think about it still historically. It's crazy. It's amazing. Yeah. It's a gift that keeps giving. <laughs> uh, so I'll go ahead and take the, the last one, number one, uh, net zero boom. Uh, we've already started to see discussion and people planning for it. Um, but if you're not aware, California has made a commitment to, to be net zero um, for housing by 2020. Um, so I think, you know, 2018, we have a, a new code cycle coming up pretty soon here. Um, so a lot of this is, is being driven through the, the California building code. Um, so people will really start to try and wrap their heads around what does that mean? Um, how is that going to affect, uh, you know, their purchasing departments and, and what do they need to consider? And uh, an interesting thing that I, I saw this morning, um, kind of in the same vein, is uh, Trump has gone back on his uh, stance of removing the United States from the Paris climate um, I didn't see that. Yeah, it sort of. Uh, he said that we could go back into the Paris Climate Agreement. Do so, it. Yeah, so that, <laughs> that'll be interesting to see how that uh, that unfolds. What's but, interesting about that too, though, about your prediction? I mean, that means the cost of housing's still going up and up and up and up. Yeah. You know, direct costs go up and up and up every time that happens, which means affordability, which is something that we've talked about, will continue to struggle. Yeah. And you that know. goes back to our prediction was at number <laughs> oh, four. Yeah. Kind yeah. of how long the, the housing market continues. There are things that can that can cause a bit and, of a shift in that. And it goes back to five of, you know, mm-hmm. we need to, you know, figure out a way to cut costs, which is off-site construction. So For sure. It's all tied together. But 2018, I think you're going to see a lot of, um, a lot of changes, a lot of things that are um, exciting for the industry. I had one other prediction, though. The LA <laughs> Kings are going to win the Stanley Cup this year. So, a bit of a homer comment, but you know what? <laughs> go Kings, go. So all of our, our listeners in other, uh, other locations around are not going to enjoy that. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Before we get out, we're going to uh, do one last segment that, that we'll, uh, we'll call for now. Uh, listener mail uh, received this letter from from one of our listeners which is pretty cool uh, so I'll read that really quick it says I had a chance to listen to each of your podcasts to date I must say I found them extremely insightful and really easy to listen to the dynamic that the team has is educational relatable and honestly funny I'm not an architect developer or engineer but what you guys discuss impacts everyone and if it does if it doesn't today it may tomorrow I do work for a construction company and as the business development manager manager recently listened to your smart uh, smart spaces or smart cities I think is what he meant uh, smart cities episode on the way to a prospective client meeting I found myself without even thinking about it bringing up your topic as an icebreaker in the introduction of my meeting while I'm not certain I sealed a business transaction we spent the first 30 minutes of my meeting discussing your topic and by the time I started to take actual talk actual business, I felt like the company I was meeting with for the very first time were already my friends. I look forward to hearing your new discussions and have rec- recommended your podcast to other listeners as there is a type of levity everyone can appreciate. Thanks. This is from John. 
from Super John. cool. Yeah. Yay, John. I'm glad you were able to use it for some biz dev. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty That's pretty cool, actually. Building. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, so that's really cool to receive. Um, so if you would like to hear your uh, email read on our podcast, go ahead and send us an email at hello at spacespodcast.com. And in the meantime, if you want to continue the conversation, you can reach us on our Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash spacespodcast, or on Twitter at spacespodcast, Instagram slash spacespodcast, on Snapchat, yes, we're on Snapchat, <laughs> at spacespodcast, and on LinkedIn, uh, linkedin.com slash company slash spaces dash podcast. So will we also be reading hate mail? Uh, oh, that could be fun. Yeah. It depends. It's I'm like into that. Tweets. You do the good stuff. I'll do the hate mail, yeah, and I will hunt whoever it is down. Yeah, maybe we'll splice it together. Yeah, and do okay. kind of awesome. a hate, hate mail. Okay. Do we have hate mail yet? I don't know. That's messed up. We're, we're not that big yet. Okay, <laughs> but I'm sure that's it, when we know we've yeah, made it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, we know that there's a ton of podcasts out there about 400,000 to be fairly precise. Um, So we appreciate you guys spending some time with us and listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please go ahead and visit our website, spacespodcast.com to find out more about the show and to see how you can uh, find us on your favorite podcast app. Visit our site, subscribe, like, and share. And with that said, if you're catching up, hit next and if you are listening as we put these out we'll see you in a couple weeks thanks Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of 
five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.